Hi, I'm Suraj Partha. Welcome to Art in All Its Forms. Thanks so much for listening to the pilot episode of this podcast. Before we start, I wanted to take a minute to talk about why I'm releasing an arts podcast and the context in which I'm releasing it. I recorded several episodes of Art in All Its Forms in mid to late May of this year. I spoke with actors, musicians, designers, and teachers. I was personally connected to all the guests in some way. You gotta start somewhere, and I can't call up Jake Gyllenhaal anytime soon. <laughs> I recorded the guests remotely, and we talked about their artistic work and how it connects with other art and artists. While I was editing the episodes and beginning to formulate the podcast, something much more serious happened. George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis. I don't want to beat around the bush on this. It was brutal. It was tough for me to watch. And of course, it was even harder to witness for so many black people in this country. Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Richard Brooks. The death of these black Americans and many more has sparked a movement that compels each of us to do our part in eradicating racism in America on both a systemic and personal level. In light of these events, I chose to delay the release of the podcast. It didn't seem appropriate to start a new venture at that time, not to mention I had finished recording all the guests back in May and none of them had the opportunity to comprehensively address issues like racism, police brutality, etc which are now a significant part of the social consciousness. Today, as I listen back to these conversations, I still firmly believe that each of my guests has a valuable story to share about their artistic journey and how it connects with other artists. I feel that it's time to share these unique voices with you. Although race and social justice are not the specific focus of art in all its forms, art intersects with all aspects of our lives. In the coming weeks, I'll work to have conversations with guests about how artists are using their platforms to support movements like Black Lives Matter and affect change in their communities. Expect those episodes to come soon. And as art in all its forms grows, I'll create a framework so that the podcast can contribute in any way possible to communities of color in Los Angeles. If you have any suggestions, please direct them to aiaifpod at gmail.com. That's aiaif pod at gmail.com. Today I'm speaking with Alan Chow. Alan is an actor and social media content creator. Originally from Dallas, Texas, he has appeared in various TV and film projects, including CBS Warner Brothers sitcom pilot, The Emperor of Malibu, ABC's Grey's Anatomy, and Hulu's Into the Dark. For the last few years, Alan was the head comedy writer for Markeon on Facebook, and he's also a TikTok content creator with over a million followers doing comedy skits and sketches. Alan, how are you? I'm good. Oh, it's so nice to like, talk to you. So good to talk to you. So I wanted to start off with how we know each other. So we met, we have some mutual friends at USC, but I think we've sort of officially met at this audition for Alexa and Katie, the Netflix TV show. Do you remember much about that? Actually, I wanted to bring up that I met you super briefly before that at 
uh, LMU scholarship interview. That's right. Yeah, That's right. yeah. Oh my gosh. I just remembered that too because my mom would always ask about you because she made friends with your mom and she was like, I had never met since, I mean, like I'm from Texas. I was the only person in my whole like, like growing up circle to become an actor. She was like, I had never met another Asian mom with a actor kid son. <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> yep. so she always would like ask about you and your mom. So I knew that you were at USC. Um, uh, like around, but then we officially actually started talking at an audition for Alexa and Katie. Um, and we we're like, hey, I think around that time I was starting Taft, Trojan Actors for Film and Television, a club for actors for film and television. And I was like, oh, Surge would be great to do this together. And then I ran into you at Dulce while you were eating a burrito. And I was like, hey, do you want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we were both in, in Taft. Um, and sort of co-founded the group and, and worked on that for, that was both of our senior year at USC. And yeah, and so, you know, got to become good friends and I'm really glad we did. So anyways, I, I wanted to start off with actually your nickname, which I found super interesting. So I know that Sari Arambula, who's our mutual friend, she just calls you Chicken. Yeah. So like, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got that nickname? So my, my legal middle name is Chicken. It's spelled C-H-I-K-I-N. And it's... Actually, my Chinese name, written English phonetically, in, in Cantonese, it's Jigin, but it's spelled C-H-I-K-I-N. And I would tell people that as a fun fact whenever I first got to college, like, oh, fun fact, my middle name is Chicken. And it stuck around. And actually, chow means fried in Chinese, like chow mein. And so, and in, in Asian languages, your family name comes first. So my name is Fried Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's very uh, accurate to your personality too. Like just like a little bit of humor, you know. <laughs> it just like it catches you in a certain way. Little Asian there, little bit of uh, um, intellect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So I, I wanted to talk to you about how you got to Los Angeles. I feel like actors have so many interesting stories of how they got to LA. So I know you've been acting since, you know, around 2014, maybe a little bit earlier. So how did you originally get into it? And did you feel like early on when you quote unquote discovered it, that that was going to be your thing? I, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and I did theater just for fun because I thought it was like cool and fun. And I, I like kind of enjoyed doing plays and, and, and musicals, but very early on, and this is something that I like respect about my young self, I was like, how come I'm doing plays and stuff, but I don't want to do this? I The people I look up to, they're on TV and movies, and they're doing different acting than what I'm doing. So very early on, I knew I don't want to do stage acting. I want to do film and TV. And luckily enough, like, one of my friends happened to be, like, represented by a Dallas agency, and she, like, was telling me about it, and I was like, oh, so... I sent out, like, headshots. I went to the mall and took glamour shots, and I sent them to, like, every agent in town. And lucky enough, one of them signed me, and I did a few JCPenney, like, modeling shoots. And that was my first gig. So that's how I got started in acting in general. In terms of L.A., um, while I was in Texas, I was, like, sending self-tapes uh, to L.A. here and there. And... Um, the first time I ever went to L.A. was to, like, sign with an L.A. agent that was referred through my 
acting coach. And so I was flying in here and there, but I permanently made the move over to LA when I started going to USC uh, or to college. And so, yeah, it was, it was a, a good move over, but I had been in and out for a while. Like I would fly out of Texas and do like a, like a, a role on like Disney Channel or something like that and then fly back. I remember finding out that I got this role, like just a co-star on Disney Channel's I didn't do it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to be there tomorrow. And it was like the nighttime. And it was insane. Like it flew overnight and shot it. And it was like such like a frantic move that I'm glad to be here now to avoid things like that. It's already frantic just getting an aud audition the next day. But to fly over was crazy. Yeah, I know. We have our, we both have our stories that we've told each other about how auditions can just get so ridiculous. I mean, the way that they expect you to just show up somewhere like, hey, so it's 9 a.m. right now. Can you be somewhere at 3 p.m.? Is yeah. that possible for you? And like, by the way, it's seven pages. And you're yeah. like, what, what am I doing? Oh my gosh, it's insane. And the thing is, people will be there, many people, many actors will be there fully memorized. So you can't even have the excuse of like, how am I able to do this? Because somebody's going to do it and do it well. Absolutely. And you got to learn how to play that game, too, because otherwise, you know, you're, you're done out here. And it's very funny because every theater audition I get, you know, I get only a few of them. But, you know, every year I'll get maybe three or four. And when I get them, those casting directors are the ones who are like, oh, so your audition's going to be in a week and a half and you have time to prepare. And I'm like, oh, this is so nice. And then when I get the TV auditions, it's like, hey, can you be here tomorrow? Uh, we're trying to book by Friday and we need to shoot by Monday. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, dude, it's insane. It's so insane. This past pilot season was probably the worst it's ever been, like, in terms of how, like, much it was. No, I don't like the word worst, how prolific it was. Very thankful yeah. for all the opportunities, but it was like... Oof, it was a lot until it all ended. <laughs> it was nonstop until it completely shut down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We are where we are now. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you came to L.A. basically through USC then, essentially. So, you know, you had done acting work and then came to USC. And you got a degree at the Marshall School of Business mm -hmm. as an undergrad. And so I got my degree in, in jazz studies. So we both went to SC. But do you feel that that degree was helpful to you? Um, you know, are you, are you glad you got it? I mean, I know that, you know, we were talking about both being, you know, children of Asian parents and I don't know if it was ever really considered that I wouldn't go to college. I mean, my parents probably would have been supportive if I had said, Hey, I'm on a TV show. Like I'm doing this thing, you know, college is going to come later, but I never thought about not getting a degree. So, you know, how did that all pan out for you? Yeah, same here. I think my parents would have been supportive if it was like, oh, I'm on a show. Like, there's a pressing reason not to go. But for there not to be a specific reason, they fully expected me to go to college. Um, in terms of getting a business degree, uh, I am, I'm so grateful to have it. I think those skills come super in handy, especially from the content creator perspective. Like, I feel that content creation is 50% business, 50% creative, a lot less than acting. But even in acting, there's a ton of marketing business skills for you to need to understand in order to have success. Or else, like, you fall into the pot of people who are really talented, but they don't know how to, like, harness that talent and make it marketable for people to understand for consumption. Because that's, like, a lot of it is really about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that actors often get really frustrated at like the 
all the interviewing you have to do in the marketing of a film, you know, all the behind the scenes. I know like I had just a little experience of doing that on Ender's Game where I had like, I had to do like 10 interviews in a row for some press junket. But that really is part of what we do. I feel like it, it comes with the territory. And it is important because you can't expect every single person watching whatever your content is to fully understand the context of what you're doing. And so it's super important that you get to, you know, with your own words, speak on whatever it is that you are doing, why it's important, why people should be interested in it, and how you think it can entertain them, help them, whatever the case may be. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally agreed. And I feel like Marshall, especially with all the business skills, every actor has had to sign a contract at some point. If you're in the union, you're in the union. You got to figure out what all that means and how to manage money, but also how to be a good leader. And I feel like something that business school teaches people that art school doesn't often always get into as much is how to lead people and how to be a good leader and what those skills really are. Yeah, and how to be aggressive from a business standpoint, not necessarily from a personal standpoint. Like you can be a really nice person, but extremely aggressive when it comes to deals and pushing for like things when it comes to business, you know, like negotiations and things like that. And I, f I, I think one of the biggest things I learned at Marshall was the idea of like, I think the whole idea of marketing is like you have to be known for some one specific thing first before you can expand. Just like Facebook was created for college students at first. And like every company starts very niche before they expand. And um, that's like true for acting. It's true for content creation. Like you really have to understand what role you fulfill before expanding, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I, if I'm allowed to, I'll check with my legal team, which is just me, but um, I think I'm going to play this small clip. All right, hold on. Stop. Hi, everyone. This is Surridge from the future, and uh, it turns out that because of some uh, copyright laws, I don't think I can actually play the clip, but I will link to it in the show notes, so check it out there. Anyways, back to the episode. This is Ellen Pompeo, the star of Grey's Anatomy, speaking to Ellen DeGeneres, and in this particular clip, she tells this story about working with a gay actor on her TV show and the conversation that that actor had with her about how much the show Grey's Anatomy meant to him. And that person is you. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw this clip and I was super, super excited. And so, you know, I wanted to just ask, you know, did Grey's feel like some kind of a milestone to you as a, as a person or as an actor? I mean, I feel like in general that show and shows like it are like a kind of like a, a moment for actors when they have done that because so many actors have gone through that show as a guest star. And so I was just wondering how you felt about the whole thing. Oh my gosh, yeah. Working on Grey's was the literal most dream come true of my entire career. I think even above any other production I've worked on because Grey's is still, to this day, the only standing show that I watched before I even wanted to become an actor. Like, it's so old that it meant so much. To, it was one of those shows that inspired me to become an actor. Um, and so it was such a dream to work on it. And on top of that, being able to represent something that's so important to me, I feel like my mission in being a creative in general is to bring light to people who have like voices that are less heard and to bring representation to communities that are not 
shed the, in the most positive light in mainstream media, in mainstream media. So for me to be able to play a gay character on that show and work with Ellen specifically and tell her my story and have her have it resonate with her so much was like there's like no I don't even know like it's just like perfect from beginning to end. I would agree with that. It's the it's the perfect story. I mean, it was so nice to see that. It was nice to see her take it to heart, you know? And it 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 gave me a lot more faith in the industry overall, to be honest with you, because I think sometimes you can be a guest star or a co-star on a show. You know, you get in, you get out. It's one day. And Lord knows, like, Ellen Pompeo and Patrick Dempsey, like, those actors who have been on that show, they deal with guest actors every, every week. Day. Yeah, every week, right? yeah. Every week someone new, every week the story is new. You know, how much of a relationship can you really build with someone in that two or three days of shooting, let's say? Absolutely, and yeah. to see an actor, like, at that level, I mean, not only has she made her money, she's made serious, serious money. She's, like... I mean, the show Grey's Anatomy is like legendary and iconic at this point. And to see her like take a story like that, you know, into account and then feel that that's a motivation for her to keep doing what she's doing. I think that was it was so nice to see that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I'm so grateful that it resonated with her that much. And for her to speak it, speak about it on Ellen DeGeneres' show of all places, like literally the most iconic LGBT person, I would say, in media right now is like is incredible so i'm i'm so glad that she chose to speak about it because that's good it it was able to touch more people absolutely yeah so let's get into a little bit of your social media content creation of all the actors i've met i think you're the person who really looks at this skill very specifically and has developed the craft of doing this and that's something that I, I really admire about you because I know so many actors who look at it as just a means to an end, which is like, oh, you know, I got to have a social media following and like that'll help me get on da 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 da. Or I, I'm going to have a social media following and like that'll help me do, you know, this thing. But you're a person who, you know, whether or not that was true in the beginning, I don't know. And we can get into it for sure. But you really, if I ask you, how do you do your TikTok videos? You can tell me, this is what I do. This is the craft of what I do. This is how I create these things. And so I just wanted to get into, you know, how did you get into creating for TikTok or creating for Instagram or creating for Facebook originally with Markion? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for TikTok specifically, I was in this club at USC called Reach. It was a club for social media influencers and creators. And the president and I, uh, her name is Cosette, she's also a TikTok creator. She, more than one year ago, when TikTok was seriously not considered by anyone at all, she was like, hey, I've been posting on TikTok, it grew like 100K followers in like a few months, you should consider it. And I was like, oh, okay. At this point, I had like drank a bunch of coffee, so I was like, oh my gosh, everything's cool and new. So I made a video on the spot right there and I just found it to be fun. And so I continued to create. And I love um, TikTok because it's a platform for me to be able to create about stuff that I love and am passionate about that I never get to express through my acting career. Like, you guys know this. I love K-pop and I love anime and I love, like, all these things that are not really, like, touched upon in mainstream media. Like, I would be, I auditioned for, like, one K-pop related role, like, ever in my life. And I'm like, oh, I get to just, like, make this myself and... I'm so passionate about this and I love like creating my own characters and my own situations. And so I love that about social media and content creation. 
it's not to me like posting videos about personal life or like my own personal dances. I view it as like a channel. It's a show, it's sketches, it's something that people watch for a specific reason. It's a business in itself, you know? And from people like, my biggest inspirations are like Lily Singh and Liza Koshy and Anna Akana. They all started in the same way. They had sketches and they had a growing audience and they were able to pitch that into longer form TV and movies which is my ultimate goal. So I, I think it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's always the first step is like, do you enjoy doing it? Mm -hmm. You know, can you enjoy doing it? I mean, I think that may not be true for other professions where you can maybe uh, get into it and say, you know what, I'll do this for a couple years and I'll get the hell out. But I feel like with anything artistic at all, you have to at least have a passion for it, you know, or some kind of fire that drives you to create and create authentic content, which is, I think, what you're talking about, too. It's about being very authentic with what you're doing. You're not trying to put on a face, but to channel your love for something and be relatable. And it's not just about being relatable for the sake of it, but because we are all relatable in some way or the other, we have common interests with our audiences, you know, whatever that may be for you, it, you know, K-pop or this kind of sketch comedy. And for other people, it's, it's different stuff. I definitely want to talk about Lily Singh because my youngest sister, Nikita, she went to one of those like conventions. I forget if it was, maybe it was VidCon maybe that she went to and she got a picture with Lily Singh and Lily Singh posted on her Instagram and my sister like was so excited about this. Oh my gosh. And then when I saw that she got this NBC show and I think she just got renewed now. I mean, not only is this amazing for Indians because like you have an, an Indian late night host, which just we did not think this was going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Like incredible, like just so cool. But also it was nice to see her take those sketch comedy like skills that she developed on her own channel and do that on NBC, but do it differently, do it authentically for television and for a network. Yeah, she is an inspiration. I agree with you. So how do you, what do you think about her and, and her work and all of that? Oh my gosh, I think, I think it's incredible. She stands for, like she is the, so many people want to claim her because she's so incredible. Like Asian people, women, queer, cause she's like also bisexual. So like queer people want to claim her too. And like YouTube creators, influencers, like she's just a bastion of hope for so many different people. I think she's great. I think she has been, I, I know that she has been very specific about how she creates her comedy so that it is very long lasting and she's able to move into a platform like late night. Cause if you, so, so many creators online, like online you can do whatever you want. So a lot of people tend to make like, make easy jokes in order to get a fast following quick. So like you could make like lots of sexual jokes or you can make like all these like wacky, stupid like things in order to build a following quickly. But I noticed that throughout her whole career, she stayed very brand friendly, very family friendly, somebody that long-term you would want to work with because she doesn't have scandals that follow her. You know what I'm saying? So I think yeah. she's been super specific and particular about all of that. And she aligns herself with big people, like big brands, big celebrities. So I, I think she's great. Like she's been so smart about her entire career. It is important to remember that there is a strategy to it all, you know, and not to look at that in from a cynical perspective, but to say, no, I mean, with any artistic endeavor, there has to be a strategy, like how... I know as a musician, I am thinking about this all the time. Okay, I have this piece I have to learn. 
It's going to take me two weeks. How am I going to go about learning this material? She is following like a very thought out strategy. And when you said family friendly, I had never thought of that. But that's totally right. Like it, she had, was not cursing in her videos. She was not, you know, um, bringing in a lot of adult content. She was genuinely family friendly and at the same time really following like her authentic spirit, you know, as an Indian Canadian person. And that I think was really, really unique. Yeah, absolutely. She has this perfect balance of being herself, but not boxing herself in because of that. It's great. I think she's great. Oh, I love that. Yeah, being yourself, but not boxing yourself in. Very nice. You know, and that kind of connects back to, I think, a lot of the social media content creation, because social media people can inspire others because it's more democratized mm -hmm. like oftentimes people are just shooting their videos in their bedroom and it makes people feel like oh my voice is worth being heard from i think that's something that like people overlook when we use the term influencer i know we've talked you know we were talking about this a little bit so tell me a little bit about like that term and what your feeling is on it exactly i i don't like the term influence because like i feel like it's that brings into mind for me like Instagram models and people who are pushing a product and things like that. Like that's why I don't really like to refer to myself as an influencer. I love the term creator because that's what we actually do. Like for day to day, we're just creating pieces of content for people to enjoy. I don't think I don't create with the intention of influencing them to do something. I just create for them to laugh at my videos, you know, so that's why I like the term creator. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed this with <clears throat> with uh, Markian because I know Markian came to talk at Taft a couple years ago, and he was talking about like his mission of just ha having people smile, like just the idea that you want to be able to see a video, smile, and go about your day. And I like that idea of like having a mission. And so many social media people do have a mission, and it isn't to push a brand at you. Mm -mm. You can see through people who have that intention. Speaking on behalf of most people that I know who are in the creative field, most people who have that intention in mind, who just want to create for numbers and for brand deals, like they really generally don't have that much success because like it's hard, it's too hard to just want that. Like, you know, like it's too much like creative juices and it permeates into your personal life it's too hard for you to just do that so you can have a brand deal with like bang energy it's too difficult and like no person would spend their whole life trying to do that and manage to come out of it like <laughs> while still maintaining some sense that they actually enjoy what they're doing it's really trans social media is so transparent you can see through it quickly i like that 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 connects very much i feel like to what i was going to ask you next is which is how do you feel that your TikTok work has helped you as an actor, just, you know, auditioning for other sorts of projects. I mean, you talked about transparency, and I think that that's, that's exactly what actors are trying to do on a day-to-day -day basis, is be transparent. Be transparent with the camera, be transparent with the audience, let someone in on what we are feeling, you know, beneath everything. And so, do you feel that your TikTok work in the last year, two years, has really changed your perspective on acting? Has it not? Yeah, oh my gosh. It's been super helpful, specifically in terms of uh, comedy, because I create comedy a ton. I am realizing through creating videos and from just watching comedy in general that a lot of, a lot of comedy comes through clarity. Like, they, 
the audience really needs to understand what the joke is and why they why are they laughing why are they laughing and it's generally just a setup and then uh, like a setup and a punchline or a setup and a surprise and you can see that pattern in especially multicam comedy so much it's just like that over and over and over and so from creating that it's easier to identify that in other people's works so yeah it's been cool and also in terms of a branding perspective like being able to grow a following has helped me like i'm now working with the digital side from my agency and it just brings you more relevancy in terms of your reps and people who are around so i think it's been great it's been a great um creative outlet that is also productive I watched clips from the pilot that you did with Ken Jeong, which is Emperor of Malibu for CBS. First of all, it was hilarious. I mean, there were just some things in there that, which one was it, which was like, thank you for being the bad child. Yeah, <laughs> I forget exactly what you said, but I was laughing so hard. I was like, <laughs> yes, that is so true. Oh my gosh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, if you have siblings, you know exactly. You're like, thank God you screwed up so that I can continue to look good <laughs> about what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And... I mean, I have seen you, you know, act, whether it be in Taft or like in a show or um, in your TikToks. And I mean, in terms of that particular comedy performance, you know, it seems similar to the persona of your TikToks. I mean, it seems like you have a very, maybe not like in writing, but some kind of codified like method by which you really go through that material. And you have like a character that you can play really, really well. I mean, many different ones, obviously, but this character, like that, a character who's very tongue in cheek, like the character's almost in on the joke sometimes yeah. as you're going through it. Yes, yeah, yeah. I was well, watching, have you seen the Mindy Kaling's, uh, the new show, Never Have I Ever? I have, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so good. And like as an Indian actor, I mean, I have, n except for Maitreya Ramakrishnan, or Maitreya Ramakrishnan, who like she's totally new to acting. Every other Indian actor on that show, I have seen, and I like, I know, per like, I don't know them personally, but within one degree of separation, I can be like, oh yeah, I know all these people. Oh like, my gosh, that's so cool! So it was great to see all of them like have their day in the sun, where like you know, Purna Jagannathan is just like oh, ridiculous. She's a ridiculous actress, just like such a legend. Her sense style of comedy is so unique, and I feel like it connects to this idea of like you have to know why you're laughing at the joke. She does such a good job of surprising you too, like a character who that will just do a fall, like just a full-on face plant, which has been done so many times in comedy. But the way she sets it up is what makes you like you're like, oh my god, this is so ridiculous! Like it's so funny. Yeah, I love that. I love that about Never Have I Ever because I I think that first of all, comedy is a great way to teach people, and I think that that show is just genuinely entertaining and it's able to teach people. And I think Mindy Kaling is really good at turning stereotypes on its head. And one part that I loved about the show was that the husband that the parents set her up with was actually like this beautiful guy. Um, <laughs> oh, I love him on Grey's Anatomy. I, uh, I think his name is uh, Vic. Yeah, Vic Roy on the show. And that's amazing because you see the trope so much that it's like, oh, I don't want to be in this arranged marriage. The guy sucks, like, la da da. And the fact that she turned it on its head and actually showed that sometimes that it does, like, work out well. And it's, like, actually not this, like, thing to hate. Like, there's such a negative feeling around that type of relationship in Western society. And I love that she turned it around on its head and made it end up like that. So, yeah, I love that show. Yeah, I mean, I was... I think Indians in general, when we watch that show, it forces us to reconsider our own notions about our identity. To get a chance to really 
think about it, and then to be laughing along as you're going is, I think, what you're talking about, which I've never thought of it like that, that comedy is such a good tool for learning, like for genuine teaching. It's a great tool for teaching. That's really cool. Yeah, and it's perfect, too, for, like, if you want to teach people that certain stereotypes are untrue because the comedy is literally about, like, taking a stereotype and turning it on its head. That's, like, the surprise part of it. So, yeah, I, I love it. I think it's such a great show. Well, I also wanted to just ask you, just out of curiosity, like, have you had favorite sketches or favorite bits that you've done? Do you, or do you feel like it's all, like, one continuous narrative for you? Yeah, I have a favorite one. It's, like, this one where, like, me and this other guy are, like, eating noodles, and then, like, we're, like, eat, it's, like, a noodle connecting. It's called, like, what K-pop fans think their ships act like behind the scenes. I just love that one in particular because I used to watch Mike Bo and Linda Dong growing up. Like, they're two creative YouTubers that I used to watch, and I made a sketch with them, and it was, like, so cool. And, like, and I also used a song that I loved from my childhood um, from this, like, Korean drama I used to watch. And just, I feel like a younger version of me would look up to that sketch and be like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And I feel like an older version of me is going to look back on it and be proud of that milestone where I got to collaborate with some of my favorite creators. So I think that one in particular is like one that I really, I really personally enjoy. Yeah, I'm going to link to it in like the show notes. I'll, I'll try and link to your, your page and see if I can link to that specific one so people can can check it out. But also, I don't think we've talked about this at all. Like you got to talking about people that you've worked with. You got to work with Alicia Keys. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. What the hell? Wait, wait. What happened there? Tell me all about this. Yeah. So um, basically, Alicia Keys was pushing out her new song, Underdog. And as like we have seen in pop music right now, songs that trend on TikTok are taking over like songs in general. And so a key strategy a lot of artists use to push out their music is to get TikTok creators to use it in songs. So my manager, uh, my digital manager just reached out to me and was like, hey, do you want to go make a sketch like with Alicia Keys to her song Underdog that's coming out today? And I was like, no, I don't want to make that with Alicia Keys. <laughs> yeah, of course. So I went and it was a lot of fun. It was cool. And she's the nicest person ever like She's so sweet. Ah, I don't know how people are like that. She's like the most grounded person in the entire world. She was amazing. <laughs> Wait, that's so nice to hear that she's nice because her music is just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, oh, she's, she was great. Was she involved in the creation of the sketch? or No, so um, it was basically just four creators there and we pitched her an idea and then she was like, let's do it. And thankfully, she was down to do all of them. She was uh, a really open artist i've heard stories of like some people like shooting down ideas it was she was not like that at all she was really great so we all just shot our ideas with her uh and it was really cool so that's awesome and then you also went to this like convention right mm -hmm. so how what was it like to really meet with so many other creators in one place oh my gosh yes okay so this is the most odd experience of my entire life because it was such a culture shock to me basically it was the vidcon of florida where a bunch of creators go and there's a bunch of fans that pay to be part of that convention. And so many people came up to me knowing who I was. And I was like, what is this? What is that? What does this mean? I don't, I've only been making videos for like just a few years. 
I personally, like, it's so weird to think about the numbers being actual people because I don't identify them in my mind as, like, actual human beings out in the world. So to see them in person was, like, the fans coming up was so wild. It was so crazy. And it was awesome to see a bunch of other creators there as well. It's a whole nother world. It's like seriously an entire different world of its own, you know, with its own celebrities. And I don't know, it's, it's crazy. It was such a wild experience. Yeah, no, I've experienced this with like the, the chess world. So chess is such a niche thing. And, you know, there's this uh, YouTube creator named Agad Mator who's from Croatia who started making these like YouTube chess analysis videos. But what I really, I would love to have him on the podcast. I've actually been thinking about trying to reach out to him. But what I really love about what he does is that, you know, he took what used to be like an hour long video of like, let's say, analyzing all the various responses to the Queen's Gambit declined. He'll do that, but he'll do it in like a 15, 20 minute video, really get down to the nitty gritty. He has like little inside jokes that he brings like the audience in on. And so he'll like really invite the audience to to be part of the collaboration he has people who um contribute to his channel and he puts their name up on like the top corner and he thanks them at the end of every video like i want to thank this person this person this person thank you so much for watching my video he'll do like these little like chess tournaments like these online chess tournaments where people can all connect online and it's amazing because Within like a three or four years, he was being invited to the World Chess Championship. He was being invited all over the world to like, you know, uh, interview like various like grandmasters and all this stuff. And it's amazing to see like this whole world that like I'm just a little part of. I'm just a subscriber to the channel. I like watching it. But to see like so many people really, they admire him as they should, like admire someone who took something that they're passionate about and really they've given themselves a voice on that particular thing. And now they get to talk with like the best chess players on earth. And that's just a, it really is when you talk about a whole new world, it's amazing to remember how many different niches there are and how the internet has connected those people. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. And, and the, the idea that like those fans like really connect with him, you know, that's so cool. Cause I feel like something like that in the past when you, whenever you don't have social media, it would be like a very solo hobby, you know? Like it would be hard to find a community around that because it's so niche, but because of social media now, everyone's able to connect with that. So it's it's great. I love that about social media. What I've been thinking about more and more is how actors, depending on what their perspective is on social media, can either look at it as high art or low art, uh, doing like high art classical music or avant-garde music or composed music versus low art music, which people might think about as like pop music or like EDM and how we've created these narratives about what's high, what's low, what's better and what's worse. And I feel like every new medium of artistic development has gone through this. So, I mean, the example I always give is jazz. Jazz was not considered a high art form. You know, it was actually considered like an art form connected with drugs and, oh, interesting. Um, you know, so many white listeners, you know, didn't really want to understand what black musicians might do. And it's funny because when I read papers from like the 1940s or even through the 1970s and 80s, like when academics are writing about jazz and the kind of coded language that they use to describe jazz as being like, oh, those musicians, they're good at that. 
Uh, but they're not good at other yeah. things. They're not musicians. They're just good at jazz, right? And I feel like there's a little bit of like a stigma the same way in Hollywood with like TikTok, with Instagram, with content creation, where it's like, oh, well, they're good at their thing. And like, but that's just their thing. That's not art. That's not what we do. And and I've been a culprit of this too. And it's only when I like was really, it was pointed out to me that, wait a minute, like this is exactly like what they said 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 200 years ago. We're saying the same thing about this kind of content creation. But in reality, like it's just like any other kind of artistic development or any other kind of artistic creation where you're taking something that's inside of you and you're developing it and you're going through it and then you're showing it to an audience and you're connecting with that audience in whatever way you can, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's such a good comparison. Like once time passes, like things start to move and then it is really a celebrated form that is probably going to take off like rapidly once the mainstream accepts it, you know, just like jazz has. And right now it's happening with TikTok. It was like on the cover of The Hollywood Reporter and like millions, so many of these creators are being signed to CAA and UTA and all the different agencies. So it's happening right now. It's, it's great. I'm wondering, you know, do you consider in your process of making the videos, do you have like a set template that you use as you're going through it? And, you know, if, do you have like a writer's room, let's say, and are you trying to work through different kinds of jokes and how they might come together? How do you think about that process? Thankfully, at this point of my creator career, I have a solid few video formats that I know always just does really well. One's like the awkward moments, struggles type of video with the Rick and Morty music. One is like K-pop theme stuff, anime theme stuff. And then one is just comedy sketches in general. So I try to have a balance of those. I can create one of those every week. I've been writing for Markion so long that I am pretty quick at like busting out like one one video I could probably think of in 10, 10 minutes and 15 minutes and storyboarding them to see how to shoot them. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I do follow a pretty regular schedule of the type of content that I make because like any channel, like if you turn on Disney Channel, you expect to see a certain type of video. It's just the same as that with TikTok. If people land on my page, they expect to see a certain type of video. So I try to follow that and then little by little expand into different content, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like you're developing a specific aesthetic? Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely like a, a specific type of video. I think like my audience knows whenever they see my videos, what kind of thing to expect, which is always good. Those kinds of aesthetic decisions can make or break something. Like you can have a great skit, I imagine, but if you're not you know, shooting it a certain way, or like you said, storyboarding it out and having a very specific kind of style, it's not going to work. Yeah, totally agree. It's just like connecting back what we were talking about with business and marketing. Like people expect a certain thing from you. And like, if you're able to follow that and still be creative, that's what makes uh, a hit. You know, it's just like never have I ever too. Like we even just watching the show, I feel like you can tell it's from Mindy Kaling because she has developed a very specific sense of humor that yes. even though she's not acting in the show, you know it's from her because of how the comedy comes out. And so you're right. Like having that, having that trustability from your audience and then taking it and being creative, I think is really great. 
So I want to talk a little bit about working out. Oh, <laughs> this yes. is totally unrelated. No, but yeah. Throughout our time at USC, you were always someone who found time to stay fit in a way that I always respected. And so I, how have you been dealing with the coronavirus and working out? <laughs> we should talk about this a little bit because this has been so tough, honestly. No, yeah. I, I think working out is so important. I think it's like one of the bastions of like just happiness and mental stability in general. I work out every morning on my patio. I use Nike training app and they have really intense workouts. Like, like I'm like dead after them, but you just follow a trainer or set schedule and I do it outside. It's so nice. It's like the highlight of my mornings. It's incredible. Have you been working out? I've been doing a lot of biking. That's what I've been doing the most of. Biking in La Crescenta is really tough because you have to, uh, you've got a lot of hills. I mean, it is really hilly over here. So a huge portion of my ride is like just being on a very like steep incline, or at least it's very steep for me. And that will work out your legs a ton and your heart rate goes up like crazy for that stuff. So it's been a like a very legitimate workout as opposed to just like kind of a joy ride. So that's been really, really nice. And I just realized how much it wakes me up in the morning. It like gets me going and it it honestly makes me more productive throughout the day, which is something that... I always remind myself when I'm like really feeling the pain, I'm like, oh, I hate this, God, you know, why am I doing this? I'll be like, no, 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 it's okay. Because when you're done and you go take a shower and you like drink some water, you're gonna recognize like, oh, I'm ready to take on whatever else is gonna happen Yeah, today. totally. It like makes you feel so much better. Like, and when you wake up, you're tired for the first like two hours anyway. So might as well just like go work out and get that tiredness over with. Yeah, I mean, it's also tough in LA, I think working out is a whole different experience because so many people are kind of doing it as a vanity exercise. I was telling my girlfriend that it's really hard when you're auditioning, you know, year after year after year. And so much of the industry is just focused on vanity. It's focused on how you look and being judged on that over the course of many years has a kind of a toll on you. And it's definitely taken a toll on me in that I've started to look at myself and look look at yourself as being skinnier in the mirror than you actually are. I was rec- I was listening to, it was on Dax Shepard's podcast. I don't know if you've heard that podcast, uh, Armchair Expert, but he has Kumail Nanjiani on there. And <laughs> there's this picture of Kumail Nanjiani of him being like totally ripped after doing this Marvel stuff. And he says that when he looks in the mirror and then he looks away and looks back at the mirror, he sees his own body like through his own eyes differently than other people do and he sees the imperfections so specifically that he thinks like he doesn't even look at his body in the mirror the like the rational way that a camera might and he was talking about how unhealthy he realized that kind of thinking is and i feel like i've inherited just a little bit of that as well kind of seeing so many people work out and like look really really healthy and fit and then look at myself and be, oh, you know, I'm fit-ish. Like, it's happening. <laughs> but at the same time, like, it's something that you have to internally find that motivation and that drive to say, I want to be healthy. Of course, I want to look a certain way. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like that's not true. But, you know, to not do it because of this extrinsic motivation of how other people are doing things around you. Yeah, you're right. That's such a good point. Like, to shift the, to shift the mentality about it being about other people and what other people see and looking like other people to just like feeling good about yourself. Cause 
I I like agree with you. I'm a huge proponent of working out when the intentions are great. So, anyways, before we go, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, do you have anything you're looking forward to? Anything that's coming up specifically? I know a lot of artists have just kind of we've gone into a lot of like development and trying to develop projects and things that we may not be able to really put out into the world until after this is all over. But you know, do you have anything that you're looking, you know, at the horizon about? Yeah, yeah, I'm excited because. I'm finally made the leap to be a full-time creator and actor um, with no other like supplemental job, which means I'm ex expanding into other platforms, uh, YouTube and Instagram, Facebook. So I'm going to be expanding my sketches and stuff into longer form things. I'm kind of nervous about it, but I'm excited because I think that it's going to be a way to reach bigger audiences and connect with other different people. So yeah, I'm excited for that. So where can people find you? At Alan Chicken Chow on all platforms, specifically TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Well, Alan, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I really appreciate it, man. And it's so great talking to you. Yes, of course. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Art in All Its Forms. And since Alan and I talked back in May, one of the things we weren't able to talk about is that the U.S. is currently considering TikTok ban in the U.S., meaning no one will be able to install TikTok on their phones if you live in the United States. Obviously, this is a huge piece of news. There's been a lot of good reporting on this in traditional news outlets, as well as tech websites like The Verge, which I recommend people take a look at. Um, countries like India have already banned TikTok, and so that means you know you have over a billion people who can't see this content. Uh, Wells Fargo has asked its employees to uninstall TikTok from their phones. So again, this is a really serious issue and it really goes to show how much art intersects with all different aspects of our lives. And obviously, Alan being a TikTok creator, it's going to be a very interesting thing if TikTok is banned, how he'd be able to migrate his followers from one platform to another. And, and there really isn't an easy way to do so, or at least not one that I see. I do have a lot of interesting thoughts on this. But I'm no expert to be sure, so I will put some links down in the show notes where you can read more on this issue. And with that, I want to again say thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to Art in All Its Forms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. Actually, the podcast will be available on Apple Podcasts really, really soon. Uh, we're just getting ready to distribute it there, so take a look out for that. If you want to send us any mail uh, with questions, comments, concerns, musings, uh, you can direct that to aiaifpod at gmail.com. That's aiaifpod at gmail.com. <laughs>